everyone. This is Timestamp, the podcast dedicated to capturing this moment in time. I'm Amy Breslow. Today's episode, Not Good Enough. My guest today is Roxana, who identifies as a Mexican-American immigrant, a mother, and a proud Texan. This conversation took place the weekend in between the Capitol riots and the inauguration of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. What a crazy week it's been, crazy four or five years. I think in this moment, in this time, some of the things that I'm just very passionate and even concerned about at the same time, how am I going to make it through <laughs> these next few weeks, months, and years with my family? I'm just really concerned about what life is going to be like now that we moved back to Texas and how we now have to navigate this environment, which to me is actually new. You know, I, I'm from Texas. I grew up here, moved to DC with these high hopes. And I just, I almost feel like coming back, I'm having to learn all of those things all over again. It's almost like I actually did move to a new state. Things have changed and they've changed so much in just the last few years. Having to relearn everything in a sense of how am I going to navigate the environment, the climate, the people in order to make sure that my child has a good life, um, my husband, myself. Um, how do I navigate these changing times and ensure that everyone um, is doing well? Part of the reason why I'm concerned. I did marry into an Indian family and my son is therefore biracial. And so how do I continue to implement and feed and raise him in this household where we have so many different cultures and yeah, how do I navigate that knowing that at home he'll be exposed to all these wonderful, you know, parts of our culture, food, music, religion, uh, and how do I make sure that when he goes out into the world, and when I mean the world, if you were to go to school, extracurricular activities, even just to go out to eat, how do I ensure that he isn't picked on or just treated badly, bullied for, for being a part of a a biracial, you know, being biracial, being a part of these two different communities or cultures. Uh, and so that's also kind of a concern for me because, you know, we were very mixed, but um, the, the Indian culture was just so strong and those family values were there too. And so coming back, how do we navigate that now that we don't see a very large Indian community here? And so how do I support as a wife um, my husband in that sense? And how do I support my child who is biracial to ensure that he continues to be exposed to this, but at the same time, protect him from this poor treatment of these ethnic minorities in the world right now? 
I was born in Mexico, outside of Monterrey, this uh, small little village. And I was brought to the United States. I was about a year and three months old. So obviously when you're brought here that young, it's very different than someone that's brought here when they're 12, 13 years old, 14, who have had a life in Mexico. And for me, that wasn't the case. And so I grew up here. Um, All I've ever known the way of living has been the American way of living. Obviously at at home, I had home home values and my culture, um, my Mexican culture, but it's been very difficult to navigate that growing up because I still don't feel good enough and good enough in a sense that I am still not viewed like someone else that maybe was born in the United States But also when I go back to Mexico to even visit family, I'm not Mexican enough. I just been struggling with that my entire life, but I haven't let that prevent me from moving forward and doing what I can to make my parents proud. You know, when you come from a family, um, from a mother who walked five days in the desert to come to this country because she wanted a better life for her daughter, that motivates you. That's why it's so difficult because I'm very proud of the fact that I say I am an immigrant. I am an immigrant's child and I'm Mexican. You know, I don't identify as Latinx or Latino or Hispanic even. I I will be 100% and tell you I am Mexican and I'm a Mexican immigrant and I was brought here uh, undocumented. And for many years, um, I lived uh, undocumented and it was very difficult, but I've never let that deter me from what I wanted to do in life, from my passion in helping others that don't have or didn't have the same opportunities I did. And so I think a lot of that really helps direct my current passions in life. For example, I'll give you voting. I don't know how many people I talk to about my story and I I tell them how important it is to vote because 10 years ago when I was undocumented, or I don't even know how many years ago, to be honest with you, I was considered undocumented. But what I dream of having that ability to vote, I think I got lucky. I, the first time I got to vote as a U.S. citizen was when President Barack Obama was running for his first term. But to think like, wow, there are so many people in this country living here undocumented, you know, especially my DACA dreamers, you know, i um, shout out to them because I have so many friends that are in that category. They just want to have the same opportunities as all of us here that grew up here, but they can't do the simple act of voting. And it's such a simple yet powerful right that we're given. And so I always kind of would be so upset and so disappointed at people who had the privilege of being born here, growing up here knowing the language, having the education, and didn't vote. That just would hurt me to the core because I'm thinking, wow, do you know how many people would do what they can to be in your position and just vote? Even to this day, that kind of hurts sometimes when I still hear it. And when I hear people say they didn't vote because they didn't like either of the candidates. And I think, wow, like what privilege you must have to feel like 
you know, oh, I don't have to vote because regardless of who wins, I'm going to be okay. And that wasn't the situation, um, at least for me back then, or even now in this last election. For me, voting is just such a powerful way of expressing your voice and, and telling the world what you deeply care about. And because I came from an immigrant family, was born in another country, raised here, could, and, I, and I saw just the potential of how amazing this country is, and I'm so blessed and thankful for the opportunities it's given me, I just get so hurt at others who, I guess I feel, didn't have to work as hard, and they have it right there in front of them, and they don't take advantage of that opportunity. This election, where there is so much misinformation about everything, it was really important that I made sure to do my best to clear up a lot of questions, doubts. George Floyd, I just really didn't have a conversation about race. And I didn't hold a lot of my own family members accountable for some of the things that they thought or said or would do. And this election, I really kind of changed that. And I started with myself. I really started um, to revisit how I talked about race or political issues before, especially in a Mexican uh, household. You just don't talk about politics. Or if you do, you don't challenge your elders about it. If they thought a certain way or they made a comment, you just kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, you, you laughed it off, laughed it off, or you kind of ignored them. But this time around, I really started holding people accountable, holding them accountable in a sense where I wasn't rude about it. I just took it as an opportunity to learn, you know, some of the rumors and the things that you would hear. And even to this day, like, oh, I'm not getting the vaccine because I don't know what's in it or taking a pause and saying, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up. Where did you get that information or how did you hear or how, where did you really try to understand and listen and just sort of take that as an opportunity to sit down? Well, you know, the reason why I'm voting for this candidate is because, you know, and I, I would list some of the, their policies. Here's a non-biased resource website to check out. And here is their platform. I see that a lot on social media, people sharing things that just didn't make sense and just taking a pause and saying, thank you for sharing that. But, you know, here's the statistic. Here's, you know, so really taking the opportunity to hold people accountable and just reminding those that, yes, you're entitled to your opinion, your thoughts, your beliefs. But here are the facts. My husband did that as well. We really took the opportunity to call friends, call family members and, and say, hey, you're, have you registered to vote, you know, regardless of who you vote for? It was really important to make sure that um, those that felt felt like, oh, well, my vote doesn't matter. I really wanted to make sure to remind them like, yes, and here's why. Because there are millions of people living here in this country that don't have that ability, just like I didn't years ago. And so when it touches home, when they see that, when they hear my story, they're like, wow, Roxana, I had no idea you were undocumented. And I'd say, yeah, you know, I, I lived under the shadows. I had to worry about, you know, when schools were asking for my social security number, I had to go back and tell my mom and dad, and they would just kind of ignore those papers and throw them in the trash. You know, I, I, I was one of those. And so I think when that resonates with them, when they, it, when it becomes personal, it changes their attitude and their perspective on the issue or the topic like immigration. 
Um, and so I'm, I'm really, really happy to, I'm really proud to speak up on that um, whenever I can. Ten years ago, I would tell all of my friends uh, and colleagues that Texas is three things. We're all about God, football, and barbecue. Texas has changed so much in the last, not even 10 years, but even just five years. Before, everyone used to say, oh, Texas is a red state. Texas is just a red state. And I came to learn that Texas is actually a non-voting state. People just didn't get out and vote. Um, and so you'd kind of end up having a lot of um, the older kind of generation, retired people that had the ability to go out and vote. And they tended to vote very conservative and, and they voted. And so I got really involved with uh, Texas politics when I saw uh, the Senate run between Beto O'Rourke and uh, Ted Cruz. And I was just so fascinated at someone that was completely different than what I grew up watching uh, or living in my surroundings with come to this main stage, you know, with his sleeves rolled up to his elbows, really cool, drove a pickup truck, ate Whataburger. And so here comes this guy and he's like talking about like gun reform uh, and, you know, just really progressive ideas that I obviously resonated with. And I just thought that was so cool. And so I just really got really involved with, with those politics when I saw him come to the stage. And obviously it was very recent, but it has changed so much. And so seeing the the state uh, before Austin just used to be known as the blue oasis in a red desert. And I feel like that's changed so much. If you look at the maps now, now you'll see a lot of blue oasis and Texas is so big. I have to explain this to my husband, just how big it is because the North, like the Dallas area, is so different than central Texas and even the South and East, you know, or Houston It's, it's and El Paso, don't get me started. Like we're just, we're so different, such a big state. And with that comes different um, ideologies, even different cultures, mannerisms, accents. I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. I don't know how to explain it to you. So now it's more than just about God, barbecue and football. And this is what hurts me is because I'm such a proud Texan. I, I, I love my state, but some of the, the headlines that have been brought about recently, one of the things that, um, as a Texan, as a proud Texan that I wasn't very uh, proud of was when Texas had a lawsuit contesting the 2020 election results. And obviously the Supreme Court threw that lawsuit out, but to see that Texas had led that lawsuit contesting these results in, you know, the battleground states, four of which obviously were uh, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and uh, Wisconsin. It was just so embarrassing to think, okay, Texas went red. It voted red. Why are you contesting the results of another state? It just, it just, to me as a Texan, it just, as an American, um, really upset me. And then 
seeing the actions of last week, right before the riots of Senator Ted Cruz, it just further, like, I had to really like hide my face <laughs> and, and tell family members, you know, he does not represent us. I know legally he does, but no, I am not like that. I do not think that I don't agree with that. A lot of my friends and family obviously felt the same way. Like, what is he doing? Especially after what happened. And a lot of people here in Texas are calling for him to resign, you know, because of his actions. And so I think this time around, Texans are really paying attention and they're really starting to do something about the state of things. And I think that people are really starting to challenge a lot of those sort of embarrassing moments to say like, no, we don't accept that, do better. And again, going back to the whole accountability thing, holding people accountable for what they say and do. And again, it can get frustrating and that comes back all the way back to what we talked about before is voting, right? So I mentioned earlier, I learned that Texas wasn't really a red state. It was just a non-voting state. And so let's turn up the vote. What do we need to do to change those things and make sure that those in those positions of power truly represent the demographics, the diversity that Texas now has And so that's sort of my next mission kind of moving forward is learning from everything we've done in the past four years, five years, and building up on that momentum to really finally flip this state. Obviously, the the events from from last week were just uh, heartbreaking and just devastating. I, I think... You don't have to be American or an immigrant or, I mean, you just from a, a human perspective, just seeing the hate in some of those rioters' eyes and just their dedication that they had towards destroying not even the building, but just just the idea and the principles of democracy as a human seeing their treatment of, you know, the, the law enforcement officers, I, I was just so emotional that day. I was angry. I was scared because I still have family and friends who live in, in the city in, in, in DC. And I was so nervous about what that meant moving forward. And I'll tell you a, a side story of sort of an experience I had in this town I live in. There would be rallies and parades for uh, the Republican candidate for president, and it was scary. And one of those days, Thursdays, I just I completely spaced out, and I was coming back from from the grocery store, and I took a shortcut, and I completely spaced out that that was where where they gathered the you know where they had these rallies and parades where they would wave flags and. Um, say really horrific things, honk at cars that honked at them agreeing. And I was, I, I don't think I had ever been as scared in my life because I was stuck in that traffic. And one of those participants uh, threw something at my car and I was, I was just so scared. 
I remember my heart was racing, even now thinking about it, it, my heart races and holding onto the steering wheel with two hands, just waiting for the traffic cop to let us through people, you know, people that were just driving through, not participating, obviously in this parade, this rally. And I just was so scared and I was just so hurt. And I, I cried by myself on, on the way home, just thinking, wow, like this, this wasn't how it was before. Like what happened? Why? Like I just, at that point in my friendly home state where I mentioned we're just the warmest and the nicest Southern hospitality, you name it, sweet tea drinking people. I just didn't feel safe and I didn't feel welcomed and I didn't feel loved. And it was just so heartful to experience that. And when I saw the events of last week, it brought me back to that moment where I felt so scared, uh, threatened. And I thought, wow, like these people are willing to march up to the Capitol, destroy it and possibly hurt other um, leadership members. They must really not like us. And when I mean us, I mean immigrants, minorities, you know, I, I struggle with that and it's so hurtful. And does that change my view of America? I think it, it didn't change my thought because I, I feel like I, I've always seen this. I've seen, I feel like we've seen it certainly in the past four or five years, just how they've come out into the open, how some of the rhetoric has really empowered some of these groups so I've, I've seen it. I've experienced racism. Obviously, I'm not blind to it, but that doesn't change the fact that I am proud to be an American, proud to be a Texan. I think it only further motivates me to really contribute to making things better and, and changing us for the better. And that's not to say we need to go back to the way that things were or back to normal I'm thinking about how do we progress? How do we learn from all of this? And how do we become better individuals, better Americans, better citizens, better family members, better neighbors? One of the things that I'm witnessing at this moment, in addition to everything we we just talked about and some of the things that do make me proud is... uh, just seeing how uh, outspoken people are uh, in a sense that I'm not going to stand for this. I will not accept things as they are. Uh, and, I, and I mean that in the sense of my young fellow millennials, uh, fellow moms, fellow Mexican immigrants, fellow Texans, fellow daughters, um, I'm just very um, hopeful and I'm very proud to see people take a stand and, like I said, holding others accountable, really taking opportunities to teach and learn at the same time. Um, I'm just really hopeful, really excited um, to see where that momentum takes us because we, we need it. We need people to, we, we can't give up. Uh, I'm, I'm, an opt, I'm very optimistic. So inauguration is coming up this Wednesday and um, 
wow, who would have thought 2021 would already start <laughs> with, you know, be so eventful. Um, but here we are. And just going back to the, the, what I mentioned about feeling hopeful and feeling proud of everyone um, doing what they can to hold everyone around them accountable, holding themselves accountable to do better, to be better. I feel like that's going to be my same situation moving into this new administration. Really continue to hold these elected officials accountable, continue to hold, you know, misinformation and those who spread it accountable, including family and friends. I think even election night, I just felt a sense of relief. I felt like I I could finally sleep again. Um, again, just thinking about my son and his future and his well-being. And ultimately, that's what's important to me is my son and his well-being and that he's happy and healthy and grows up in a beautiful environment full of people that love him and respect him for who he is. Thanks for listening. Timestamp is produced by me, Amy Breslow, with original music by Maddie Schuler. You can find us at timestamppodcast.com and can subscribe on Apple, Stitcher, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be back in one or two weeks with the next episode. Until then, take care and be well. Thank you.